0: It's Monday, July 7th, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pasca, So I was on the MSNBC show Up. Over the weekend, Saturday, in fact, an interesting discussion happened, a discussion that was based on a Ron Brownstein article where he wrote, Republicans are trending against a growing cultural majority while Democrats are in tune with it. And what he's talking about and what we as a panel talked about was contraception, immigration, gay rights, all these pretty much liberal ideas that Democrats think they're on the winning side of, not just the right side of, but that the left is happy to have the argument. They think they're going to get votes based on that argument. Steve Kornacki, who hosts the show, framed it like this this. Democrats are now making a calculation that Democrats of a generation ago under Bill Clinton would never have made that on these issues being to the left on cultural issues is now a political winner. And that's what you're, you're seeing, perhaps, with, this, with the Hobby Lobby ruling on immigration. And that is accurate. You know, being on the left on those issues is probably being on the right side in terms of getting votes. Maybe not how congressional districts are districted, are drawn up. But in general, state races, certainly a presidential race. And then Steve brought up the idea of Bill Clinton and Clintonism. That was sort of the essence of, of Clintonism was this idea that, you know, you've got these Reagan Democrats, you've got these people on cultural grounds, white voters on cultural grounds, who've defected the Republican Party, and Bill Clinton's going to win them back. He's going to be tough on crime with the death penalty. Remember, he had somebody executed when he was governor on the campaign trail in 92. You know, uh, Defense of Marriage Act signed that in 1996. That style of politics sort of is trying to assuage those voters is going away now. I didn't get to say it then. And I'm not going to use the gist as a chance to replay all the things I should have said. Cut to eighth grade. Oh, yeah? Well, your nose is big. I'm not going to do that. But I, I had some thoughts I thought was an interesting way of thinking about it. And I think the essence of Clintonism is not to always be centrist. I think the essence of Clintonism is to be smart politically. And so I think what Clinton did is he saw where the country was on issues, and he usually was right where the country was. He had a big agenda he wanted to get to, but if the issue was, say, the death penalty, and he saw what the public's opinion was, and he saw how hard it would be to get elected as a Democrat if he was seen as anti-death penalty, so he went, and you could say cynically, you could say a lot of things, he went to Arkansas to preside over a death penalty. And the other thought I had, and this really is with the benefit of hindsight, is that Lincoln quote about you could fool all of the people some of the time and so forth. And I think when you look at politics and the stances politicians take, and you look at what how, how we know so much now with polling, where the public's opinion is, I think the new version of that quote, given the sophistication of polling, is something like, you can be out of step with the people some of the time, you can be out of step with some of the people all of the time, but you can't be out of step with almost all of the people all of the time. So this whole, hey look, Democrats are on the left of issues, I think it's the issues that are moving a lot more than the Democrats. Anyway, that was all about Saturday's cable news. In the spiel, I'm going to be uh, an ombudsman or a deep reader of some of the good stuff that happened on Sunday's cable news. There was the good and the bad and the weird and Rick Perry is involved. We'll also talk with Emily Yaffe. We're doing a post prudence impact statement. But now Washington, the state of Washington is legalizing marijuana for recreational uses. We'll see how that's going. The state of Washington will be the second state to legalize recreational use of marijuana. Permits are to be officially issued today. Sales start tomorrow. Law I-502 legalizes sales in, for now, 24 stores. Just one, for instance, in the city of Seattle. And the law stipulates no home growth and legal possession up to an ounce of pot. More than that is still illegal. Well, joining me now is Steve Elliott, who writes the Toke Signals blog. He was a longtime marijuana reviewer for the Seattle Weekly and is also editor of the forthcoming Little Black Book of Marijuana, which is what, Steve?
1: The Little Black Book of Marijuana basically covers the history of the relationship between the human species and the cannabis plant. It uh, starts at the beginning and follows it all the way through to the present, including the culture that has grown surrounding it.
0: Oh, wow. So, as the state ramps up and is about to go legal with marijuana, what are they doing right and what are they doing wrong in your estimation?
1: Okay, as far as what they're doing right, it's good that nobody will be getting arrested for possessing an ounce or less of marijuana anymore. That's a very good development. As far as what they're doing wrong, the law does have some serious shortcomings, and of course, as an activist, it's not my job to be satisfied so um, I've identified a few of those. Chiefly among them, I'd say, is the fact that I-502 doesn't allow for any home-growing of marijuana by people who choose to use it. For me, if marijuana is legal... That means that adults should have the right to cultivate their own. An additional serious shortcoming is the fact that uh, I-502 only legalizes possession up to an ounce for adults. If you have more than 40 grams, for instance, you can still be charged with a felony, even here in so-called marijuana legal Washington. A third area of concern is the overly strict DUI rules that aren't really supported by science. Uh, those of us who have familiarized ourselves with the science of impairment and of cannabis usage realize that 5 nanograms per milliliter, which is the limit set by I-502, is too low and that many regular users, particularly medical marijuana patients, never dip below that level. When we first wake up in the morning completely unimpaired, we're over that 5 nanograms.
0: Okay. And so what about the fact that because it's uh, being regulated by the state, there are very few actual places that can actually grow legal marijuana?
1: That is a problem. This fact that the uh, supply has been artificially limited by the law, uh, that is going to be a big problem. And there are already predictions of serious product shortages in the stores. They are, in fact, predicted to run out quite quickly, and uh, the fact that there will only be a few authorized growers means that there is an artificial scarcity at work here. This also means, of course, high prices, both to the marijuana retailers, the stores themselves, prices of up to $4,000 per pound have been reported today, and high prices to the end consumer, those who choose to buy the marijuana in the stores, could be paying upwards of $30 a gram, and for some context, $10 a gram and even $9 a gram is the going price in Washington's existing medical marijuana dispensaries. Now, that brings up another side issue here, which is that the state plans to force medical marijuana patients through the recreational market.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: At the same time that marijuana store personnel are forbidden to discuss the medical aspects of cannabis with customers. Imagine if you are a new person in the medical marijuana authorization, you have this new authorization from your doctor. He recommends that you use it for your illness, and if you have to go in a state store to buy your supply, those folks aren't allowed to talk with you about your medical applications for the cannabis plant. That is a serious shortcoming in my view, and the fact that we need to take these patients' health a little more seriously seems to be something that should capture the attention of the politicians.
0: What about edibles? Because I know Colorado has gotten a lot of bad attention. There seems to be, well, there definitely is chronicled usage of dogs uh, eating these things and kids eating these things, and it hasn't spiked to tremendous amounts. But hospitals do report an uptick of kids coming in who got into their parents' edibles. How is Washington dealing with the edibles question?
1: There's a very interesting situation right now in Washington regarding edibles. We have the Liquor Control Board, which was placed uh, it has authority over legal marijuana in this state, the recreational marijuana. And they are saying that I-502 legalized marijuana edibles, which if you read the language, it did. At the same time, they are saying that the Washington State Department of Health is saying that any marijuana edibles uh, consist of adulterated food and are therefore illegal. So you have two separate state agencies saying two separate things. They haven't ironed out those differences. And one would think that in the almost two-year run-up To implementation of this law, that they would have had time to work those details out. Apparently, they haven't. So as of now, there are no marijuana edibles for sale in the state of Washington. There won't be tomorrow when the stores open.
0: Do you worry that in a couple years, the people of Washington will look at the situation, bungled as it has been, and say, you know, it's just not working out, it's not worth it, and then go back and recriminalize marijuana?
1: I worry about that. And in fact, I think that uh, some people who are in favor of the prohibition of marijuana may actually be laughing up their sleeves at this moment as they watch this situa- situation unfold. I believe that some of them may actually hope for that scenario and may actively be working towards it so that they can say, we tried legalized legalize marijuana and it turned into a mess, so now we need to make it against the law again. I don't believe that will happen, at least in Washington State, because there is a lot of support here legalized marijuana. But I do expect that there will be lots of press coverage regarding the troubles that we're having here. And a lot of people are going to end up interpreting that as meaning marijuana legalization doesn't work, which is entirely the wrong interpretation of what is happening. It means that if you do marijuana legalization, you need to do it intelligently.
0: Steve Elliott is the editor and host of TokeSignals.com and is an editor at Hemp News. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. My pleasure. So now it's time for another post-Prudence impact statement where people who've received the advice of Dear Prudence are checked in upon by Prudence herself and me to see how the advice went. Hello, Emily Yaffe, who writes the Dear Prudence column. Hello, Emily.
2: Hello, Mike Pasca.
0: So in the past, we've dealt with uh, pregnancy scare. We've dealt with where to send the kids to school. This is more serious This is a really terrible thing to happen to someone. Why don't you tell us about the letter that you got and the advice you gave about it?
2: This letter was from a 30-year-old woman whose parents had had a very nasty divorce many years ago. The mother had behaved very badly and had wrecked relationships, but the daughter had rebuilt her relationship with her mother and thought things were great. Comes to be, she finds out after her wedding, that her mother had been going around to all the guests saying, it's so sad that my daughter's father molested her uh, during her childhood. Never happened. And many guests came to this young woman to say, "Um, your mom was telling me about how your father molested you. Turns out she's been spreading this lie, which was one of the most damaging and damning, things you can say about someone for about 10 years. Yeah. She called herself unmolested, was writing to me to say, what do I do? What did you tell her? Because this is so dangerous, I mean, an accusation like this really can ruin someone's life. I thought the letter writer and her father should go to a lawyer, explain what's going on and get a cease and desist letter on legal letterhead distributed to the mother saying, if you don't stop this immediately we will take further action because, you know, this woman needs to shut up. Then I said the daughter should say, our relationship is in serious jeopardy. You need to acknowledge what you've done and you need to get help. I suggested also that the mother said she was getting help. The daughter uh, look at the receipts just to make sure the mother actually was going because her credibility is a little low.
0: You just expressed to her the idea that, the rumors the mother was spreading probably weren't taking purchase. And I think that was good to offer those assurances, even if it wasn't a call to action,
2: which you also offered. Now we're going to see what she did.
0: Yeah, let's go see.
2: Hi, Mike. Hi, Emily. Okay, so Unmolested, you wrote me a very painful, heartbreaking letter about your relationship with your mother. I gave you some advice. What did you do?
3: It's funny that you advised about the potential for a lawsuit because I am an attorney. That's probably the last thing in the world I would ever want to do. So I took the alternate, you know, confronting my mother and seeing if, you know, she was willing to accept responsibility and maybe get help. And so I ended up talking to her about it, and she totally denied everything.
2: Unmolested, has your mother ever been diagnosed with a mental illness?
3: Um, my dad said that he speculated, or some maybe health care provider had speculated about bipolar disorder, but there's never been an official diagnosis.
2: Because what's so sad about her continuing denial is that were she to take you up on your demand that your future relationship requires that she get some help, she might actually get some real help. She may be helped by medication or talk therapy and be able to take more responsibility for her behavior. And maybe even some of the behavior could be mitigated with medication. But I'll tell you one thing I've learned from doing this column, there are some people who can't be helped.
3: I have to say, I was pretty shocked. I thought that, you know, it would be enough for her to have a relationship with me that even if she didn't believe that she was wrong in the beginning, that she would at least go through the motions and try. Frankly, though, the timing is good because I'm actually pregnant and having a controlled boundary with her before I have a child is the best way to go. And I don't know if now me having a child is going to make her want to come back in my life, but I feel really good about,
2: you know, knowing what
3: I know about her and sort of her priorities going forward.
0: If I may ask a question, you know, you, um, Melissa, identified yourself as a lawyer, and you said, as a lawyer, the last thing I'd want to do is get a cease and desist letter. Why, as a lawyer, don't you want to do that?
3: I think one of the big reasons is because it will feed into her victim mentality, you know, being dragged in front of a court and getting to do the theatric. I feel like she, in a way, sickly loved that.
0: Got
2: it. Well, congratulations on your pregnancy, and I think you're absolutely right as you're heading into this new part of your life to understand the need for boundaries and limits with your mother because, you know, it's a very emotional time. Of course you want your mother to be a grandmother. Of course you want her part of this part of your life, but better now that you know what's going on and can make some decisions about... If you want to be involved in your grandchild's life, mom, you have to address some serious issues.
3: It might be the the leverage that would actually make her address some of her behavior. But even if it's not, I just feel thankful that you know my child won't be exposed to her sort of crazy making.
2: <laughs> right? Can I ask? This didn't come up uh, in the letter. What was your father's reaction to all this? Did you tell him about these stories? And and what are things like between you and your father?
3: We're um, really close, especially since the divorce. And I also have a brother and the sort of three of us are very close. And when I told him, he had no idea. So he was very hurt. But to his credit, I think that he didn't share a lot of that hurt with me or use me as sort of the sounding board for his own pain that this brought up. And he basically was just upset and sorry that she was causing me this sort of distress.
0: Even though, for reasons you just laid out, you didn't exactly take uh, Emily's most tangible advice. What did you get out of the experience of writing to Dear Prudence and her response?
3: Um, It made me feel so much better getting feedback that was validating and realizing or just confirming that there isn't very much i can really do besides taking legal action i can give her options i can't make her take them i mean some people had even written like poetry in the comments and it really cracked me up and made me feel a lot better
0: that's great to hear yeah it is well thank you very much and uh congratulations and good luck with the pregnancy
3: great thanks so much you guys
0: another not life-righted but satisfied customer emily
2: It's such a relief to hear she has one parent with great boundaries, who's loving and normal. Uh, It's, I I get variations of this letter a lot. It's very, very painful to have the person in your life who should be the number one person who nurtures and supports you to have this. Obviously, the mother has some kind of major mental illness and won't address it. And that's a terrible thing, especially as this young woman's about to become a mother herself to realize, I don't really have a mother in my life.
0: Yeah. Well, as always, the post-pretty impact statement. I think we learned a little something here. Thanks so much, Emily. Thanks. And now the spiel. Of God, marriage, and Google, it has been said, if they did not exist, we would find the need to invent them. The same is not really true of the Sunday talk shows. That they exist at all is a habit of a bygone era. The logic of having endless hours of network programming given to frippery or weight loss contests or sports, but then having one hour a week at the same hour where every network does the exact same show, it just seems odd. Like how you live your whole life and there are no tigers or monkeys or marsupials ever in daily life. Then you go to a zoo and it's all animals all at once. The Sunday talk shows are a zoo for Washington Post columnists. But I like the zoo, and i like to talk for a couple of minutes about some interesting moments from yesterday. I call it Face the Press This Week. I'd like to take just two incidents. I'm not here to comb through all the stool of the Sunday talk shows, like Laura Dern raked through that pile of triceratops poop in Jurassic Park. By the way, dinosaur dung transgressions from the website of a Hofstra University paleontologist. Here comes my favorite mistake in the whole movie, writing about Jurassic. Park. The poo pile appears to have reached heights of around two meters, yet the anus of a triceratops would be around one meter off the ground. How did it get the poo to the top of the pile? Which brings me to Rick Perry. All right. I'm sorry. That's not fair. On ABC's This Week, Martha Raddatz got Perry a talking about President Obama's border control policy.
2: Governor, do you really believe there's some sort of conspiracy to get people into the United States? When, by the federal government, when, by the Obama administration, when I have
1: When I have written a letter that is dated May of twenty twelve, and I have yet to have a response from this administration, I will tell you they either are inept or don't care.
0: It seems reasonable, but it's not. It's quite a bit of rhetorical ledger domain. By using the either-or construction, that alone positions the speaker as a reasonable type willing to entertain two notions, maybe even inquisitive or a searcher of truth.
1: You are either inept.
0: Look, either the administration is inept, I'm certainly willing to concede that point, or...
1: Or you have some ulterior motive of which you are functioning from.
0: And then after the or, you've just given yourself, you've laid down fire, you've given yourself cover for saying any nutty thing in the book, right? You can allege anything. You can say, oh, you know, he's sneaking kids across the border, he has nefarious intent or whatever. And then you could go back and say, hey, I never said he was sneaking kids across the border. I just said he's either inept or sneaking kids across the border. Let me give you another couple examples, all right? Look, either this girl has epilepsy or there might be a demonic possession going on. Hey! I didn't say there was a demonic possession going on, but, you know, why not cover all your bases? Or either Rick Perry is desperately trying to keep himself in the spotlight as he exits the Texas governor's mansion, or he has important rational ideas. Oh, and one more thing, going back to the initial premise, they're either inept or, actually, there's another explanation besides inept, and that is impossible. As in, it's impossible to stem the tide of illegal aliens without an endless supply of agents or becoming a police state or stopping law-abiding citizens every 15 feet You know, that's another one. All right, now let's go over to NBC. David Gregory does something rare in broadcast TV. He demands an answer to his question. He just hammers Jay Johnson, the Secretary of Homeland Security, on tough questions about immigration. So earlier in the interview, Gregory noted that 52,000 minors, that's the administration's own number, 52,000 unaccompanied minors have been apprehended on the border. And that is double the number from last year. So Gregory asks Secretary Johnson, how bad can it get? And Secretary Johnson says... What do you I believe we're going to stem this tide. And Gregory asks again, yeah, but how bad can it get? And Johnson says, I believe we'll stem this tide. But that wasn't even the question asked until an answer was gotten. That was just a bad line that someone fed Johnson that he thought saying that would be sufficient. But, of course, it's unresponsive. And I do think it got David Gregory's ire up. It's not even a skilled way of batting away the answer. He could have said, well, we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Or he's going to say the truth is we don't know David, but here's what the administration is trying to do blah 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 that would have been fine right the truth is we don't know and then you seem honest but stem the tide and saying stem the tide it scans as an evasion and you see it sets the tone because then gregory asks johnson are you going to deport the children you've detained and johnson evades so gregory asks, yes but are you going to deport them and johnson talks about procedures that are in place and gregory says it sounds like a very careful response are they going to be deported or not And then he doesn't get an answer. And then Gregory goes in a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time.
1: The goal of the administration is to stem the tide and send the message unequivocally that what about the thousands of children children who are
0: here now? Eight times. Gregory asks, eight times, are you going to deport them? And Johnson finally gives a quasi answer that I think amounts to yes, I can't even tell you.
1: There is a deportation proceeding pending against... Uh, everyone who comes into this country illegally and is apprehended at the border.
0: That degree of doggedness is basically unknown in polite talk show circles. Gregory deserves credit. It does kind of make for repetitive television. And it also does make viewers uncomfortable. It really does. In a nonpartisan show, tension ...leaves viewers feeling tense. I mean, if it's MSNBC, you want them to beat up on the conservative. If it's Fox, you want them to rip the heart out of the liberal who's not answering. But for this kind of show... It's usually not done, because on the Sunday talk shows, everyone knows the game, right? A host asks a question, he gets an evasion, he asks again a second time, so he gets credit for the follow-up, and the politician laughs it off and knows enough to say, well, you're not going to get an answer on that, or nice job, or nice try, or maybe you play the high horse card, also known as the Gingrich Gambit, where you say, you members of the media think you know more than the American people. But Jay Johnson, he has the background of a lawyer, and he's been in this job for less than a year. And you have to learn to give the host something the host wants, even a faux-Frank admission. David, I know this isn't going to satisfy you, but it's a tough, tough situation. David, I think we need to be humane and cautious here. I don't want to, in a TV answer, mischaracterize the care and attention we have to give to these real human beings. I mean, that would have been fine. That would have either satisfied Gregory or pushed him off his game. Jay Johnson didn't have a good answer, but also, more importantly for this, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to end that sentence with a period or even with an evasion that sounded like a period. But I do, as I stem the tide of this segment on Face the Press this week. And that's it for today's show. Andrew Salenzi is either producer of Slate Podcasts or a very clever kind of marine mammal with special flippers. Andy Bowers is either executive producer of Slate Podcasts or the chemical symbol for boron. You can subscribe in iTunes and give us a review. Lots of reviews are up. We love them. I read them all. And you can sign up for an email that we'll send to you. The address for that is slate.com slash gist email. As soon as the show is up, you'll be notified in your inbox, and you can even play the show right off of that email. We're on facebook.com slash slate gists, where I'll post some of the Sunday and even my Saturday TV appearance that I've been talking about. Email the gist at slate.com. And either thanks for getting up in the morning putting in a day of backbreaking labor but having enough wherewithal to come home every evening and dress up as Maria Kinchita Alonzo and teach me how to play the harpsichord or thanks for listening